You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Did God write the Bible? That's an intriguing question for us to consider, isn't it? God wrote the Bible, and through the Bible, he provided mankind with great hope and an offer of salvation. He has declared his knowledge of the future through prophecies such as Daniel, which outlines consecutive world empires, particularly thinking of Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. The accuracy of those prophecies and other prophecies assure us that the Bible is true and indeed written by God. All fulfilled prophecies ensure that the Lord Jesus Christ will soon return as the Bible promises. proof that we are in the end times. When we hear those sorts of phrases used, we uh, probably conjure up all kinds of images. And uh, if you do a little quick search on the internet, you'll see all of these uh, types of pictures that look very dramatic of the uh, earth somehow um, being consumed or destroyed. Um, apocalypse is the uh, catchphrase that sometimes we hear. Doomsday, the last days, the end of days, um, all of these sorts of uh, things that come up with this topic. And as a matter of fact, we've, we've probably all heard of the doomsday clock and maybe even uh, seen a picture of it. Well, this is uh, the most recent edition of the the Doomsday Clock. Now, the Doomsday Clock began with the invention of the first atomic bomb. And uh, it was actually the scientists, um, oddly enough, who created the atomic bomb, came up with this idea of the Doomsday Clock and uh, uh, trying to tell people how close they thought we were to destruction. And it's grown from just an atomic worry to all of these sorts of worries. Um, You know, that somehow we can be attacked by the things that we make, by artificial intelligence or um, technology that we we make can somehow cause our demise or a a biochemical attack, uh, cyber attacks, global warming. Of course, there's a, a big conference that just ended recently with that topic front and center. Um, With all of these electronics and and advances in technology, we need all these specialized minerals. And so uh, there's the worry that that we might run out. Um, Or how about getting uh, uh, hit by a stray planet or an asteroid that could cause the destruction of the Earth? And of course, we're just living through Uh, hopefully the tail end of a pandemic. So all of these sorts of things now uh, have caused the scientists to place the doomsday clock at 100 seconds before midnight. 
So less than two minutes away is, is uh, how they want to portray this worry to us. Well, <clears throat> let's start right off the bat with uh, looking into the Bible and, and seeing the, this. The Bible in no uncertain terms tells us that the earth is not going to be destroyed. So we just like to have a look at, at some verses that talk about what, uh, from the outset, what our final vision is. So rather than looking at that at the end, we thought we'd look at that at the beginning. What is God's plan with the earth? And, and perhaps if you've been here before, you've probably heard some of these ideas, but uh, just to, to review them. But the Bible says that the Bible, the earth, will not be destroyed. And it's in the context of Israel being punished and that they themselves, Israel as a nation, would be saved and not come to an end as a nation. World without end means that, that, that they will not end. And then it goes on in verse 18 of Isaiah 45 to say that thus saith the Lord that created the heavens and God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited, and I am the Lord, and there is none else. Now when you look at this word established, it's actually a, a fairly uh, a pointed word in the Hebrew kun, um, or perhaps that's not pronounced well, but uh, it, it has the idea of being firmly established, firmly anchored, being firm, and it's first used in Genesis 41 and, and verse 43 when Joseph is explaining the dreams that Pharaoh has. And the dreams were given twice, and Joseph said, this is because these dreams are certain. They are established, same Hebrew word. And with reference to the world itself, uh, it's also found in Psalm 93, which says that the world is, has been established and cannot be moved. Well, that's from the outset. We can erase that from our worry if we're going to uh, believe and follow what the Bible says. God's plan is not the destruction of the earth. Well, furthermore, if we just kind of take a surmise of the phrase, we don't really find the word the end time in Scripture, but we do find the phrase the last days or the last day. And so what will happen in the last day? Well, this is in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to uh, the family of Lazarus and his sister Martha. Uh, Lazarus has just died, and Christ's intention is to raise Lazarus back to life. And so before he does this, though, he has a little word with Martha. And in speaking to Martha, Martha says, well, Lord, I know that Lazarus shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so in the last day, 
the Bible tells us that there will be a resurrection. Also, in the last day, if we just go ahead one more chapter in John chapter 12, Christ says in in the context is a discussion in front of all the people with the rulers for all to hear. And he says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, and it's the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him at the last day. And so a, a resurrection followed by a judgment. That is the plan that God has for the last day. What else does he have plan, uh, planned in the last day? So a little bit long, we're not really going to read the entire section, but in Isaiah chapter 2, it says this, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain. So there's going to be a a house of prayer. In verse 3, many people shall go and say, oh, come and let's go to this mountain in this house. And what will happen there? Well, God, through Christ, will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For there shall go forth a law in the word of the Lord from this mountain that's in Jerusalem. And to uh, back up, it's, or to, to continue in verse 4, those nations that don't come, he shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their swords into spearing, pruning hooks, and neither shall they learn war any more. Now, we might scratch our head and say, this is so unique. We probably can't even fathom a condition like this in the earth where people learn of God's ways and want to. People want to live by them where they actually don't spend money and and do all kinds of research and develop new technologies for war. Can we even imagine a time such as this? Can we imagine the the great changes that would be required. It would be the end of nations ruling themselves, the beginning of a new era where God is the one who's in control and says how things run. Well, there's another detail of what it will be like in the last days, and it's in Psalm 72. And it explains the conditions of just what this era will be like and what the Lord Jesus Christ will be like as a judge and a ruler in controlling this time. And so um, perhaps you can, uh, as part of homework number one, when you go home tonight, just peruse through Psalm 72. And and read the things that are there in detail and imagine just the implication of what these verses are saying. It says that Christ will judge with righteousness, that there will be peace to the people, that he's going to look out to judge the poor and the needy and, and deal with those who oppress the poor and the needy. 
And he's going to have dominion, not just over one little territory, but from sea to sea, unto the ends of the earth. And it will be all nations who will be involved in this kingdom. And, And this isn't going to be a kingdom that's just going to be for a time. It says that it's going to be forever. Now, this is a ruler we can well figure out who is going to be unlike anything we've seen. This is one who applies godly principles to his reign. And two, he's not motivated by prestige or wealth but he's actually self-sacrificing for his people. And this is an era that will not end. And so the end times, really then, what could we say about it? Well, it refers to the end of man's way of running things. That Christ will set up a kingdom under the authority of God. And he will be running things God's way. You know, we even think of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth. And so it's the end of this era and this present arrangement of things. And so we we might say, well, well, what will cause God to do this? What is going to bring about this great change? Are we close to the end times? Are we living in the end time? What's God's way of operating? Has he ever sort of caused a change in era before? Well, let's once again turn to the Bible. And if you just open your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to put sort of like summaries of the passages up on the screen, and so perhaps you like to follow along with that, or you can uh, have a look in your Bible at the uh, passages that we're looking at. But if we just go back and, and go back right to the beginning, where it all began, and it's in the Garden of Eden, and in Genesis chapter two, we find the conditions of this era, that the Lord God took the man, the first man, Adam, and put him, put him in this Garden of Eden, and his job was to dress it and keep it. He gave him a law that he had to live by, and he also gave him the consequences of disobeying that law. And so it's, it's an age that we really almost can't imagine this this beautiful lush garden that that brought forth abundantly and and being given a job by God and and the angels themselves and and tending and and keeping this garden and and the abundance that it would have brought forth and the peace that would have existed between him and the animals and and the angels and furthermore he's given a wife in verse 23 Well, the man and the woman live in this garden for a period of time until they broke the law that God gave them. 
And so it says in chapter 3 now, in verses 6 and 7, that it was the woman who, in, upon listening to the serpent, saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and desired to make one wise, and she took of the fruit of the tree that God said never to do that. And so did Adam as well, her husband. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fink leaves, trying to hide themselves, uh, and made themselves aprons. Well, God, as we know, is going to deal with this situation. He's going to deal with the breaking of the law, and he's going to turn to the serpent, and he's going to make an example out of him, in front of Adam and Eve and for their sakes. He's going to create enmity between the serpent's way of thinking and God's way of thinking. He's also going to provide a way to overcome their new situation that involves forgiveness. He's going to address the woman for her part that she played in the sin And he's going to address the man for his part in listening to his wife in committing the sin. And so we see here now a new situation for Adam and Eve in verse 17 to 19 where it says that cursed is the ground for thy sake. And it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles until you return unto the ground from whence you came. So if we could summarize this, we might say that God's way is this. He gives a law, and he gives consequences to breaking that law. God is always righteous in applying that law, but he's also very patient and very merciful, and he extends that patience and mercy before applying the law. And he then provides the punishment and consequences of the law. And so we see God's, we might say, well, where was the mercy in in this? Well, God, because he definitely gave the consequences, which was that they were going to suffer death. The mercy was that God could have destroyed them He said they were going to experience death. He could have given them death right then and there. But instead, he allowed them to live and and gave them a way to overcome their new situation and be reunited, reunited with him again while still upholding his righteousness and the consequences of the law. But you know, the, the punishment and the consequences involved the end time. It was the end of an era. No more would they live under those conditions in that garden. And it was now the beginning of a new era. And I put to you that this is God's way. This is how God deals with man and sinful situations. And I say that it is a pattern. So let's investigate and and just see if this idea, this pattern, holds up as we go through other stories in Scripture. Well, we'd like to uh, have a look 
at uh, Genesis chapter 4. And um, if you just peruse through that chapter, this is uh, homework piece number two. When you uh, go home this evening or at some time this week, have a look at Genesis chapter 4. And you'll read there the story of Cain and what kind of a man he was and what his descendants were like. And you'll find that he and his family, or as his seed, his seed as scripture calls it, that they were murderous, ungodly, self-seeking, pleasure-seeking, ruthless, aggressive people. You get the picture? That's the kind of people, the kind of man who Cain was, and that's the kind of descendants that he brought up into the world. But at the end of chapter 4, we have this. That in verse 25, Adam knew his wife. She bare another son, called his name Seth. In verse 26, to Seth and to Seth, to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And so Seth called upon the name of the Lord. And and furthermore, chapter 5 is going to follow through the family, the seed of Seth. And all of his descendants lived by that rule. They tried to live by the laws of the name of the Lord that they called upon. So that was that seed and that family. And so we have two family lines, don't we? One that's ungodly, who follows their own rules and do what they think is best. And the other who calls upon the name of the Lord because they want to be godly and follow God's rules and do what he thinks is best. And these two family lines grow generation by generation. And, and do you think they got along? Well, in Genesis 3, it tells us that they didn't. But which one do you think became more prominent? And so when we come to Genesis chapter 6, and obviously we're not going to read all of that, but just to, to highlight some words there. And, and here in Genesis chapter 6, we're now 1,700 years later after creation. And the population of the world is kind of interesting to think about this. Man was living about seven to 900 years during this time. And in 1,700 years, people estimate that the population of the world was probably around a billion, maybe even more. And in Genesis chapter 6, we read about the man Noah. And Noah, you see, it follows on from chapter 5 and Seth's family and his lineage who called upon the name of the Lord for direction. But you know what? By this time, Noah and his family were the only ones. And there's only eight of them. And the rest of the world population, a billion people, their characteristics, well, highlighted in red. 
They marry for beauty. That's what's important, not character. And it says that there were giants in verse 4. The word giants is the word nephil. And, and Strong's gives it as being a feller. Interesting, like you think of like felling trees, a feller. I.e., he says, a bully or a tyrant or a giant. Now, Gesenius, I think, helps us further. He says it's about falling on. And that's a biblical expression. When a man is going to kill someone, he falls on him. So he says it means attacking. This is not, a giant is not a feller of trees, but it's describing men who went about getting what they wanted by violence and murder. That's what the other billion people in the world are all about. So they're aggressive, they're violent. It says that they are men of renown, as if this was a thing that was valued in those days. And look how many times we see the word wicked, evil, corruption, violence, wicked, evil, corruption, violence. And so does our pattern hold up to what God says he's going to do with the earth? You see, he tells Noah in verse 3, Noah, there's going to be 120 days, and then I'm going to cause the end of that billion people around you. Well, God gave a law. Did he give a law? Well, everybody would have had the chance to be in contact with those who called upon the name of the Lord. And they would have heard the law and the consequences. They themselves would have had the opportunity to call upon the Lord if they wanted to. They were given consequences. It says in in 2 Peter 2 and verse 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You think Noah would have just kept this to himself if that was the title that God gave him? He told them the law. He told them the plan that God relayed to him. Did God show mercy and patience? Well, he said in verse 3, he gave them 120 years to listen to Noah. And in Peter points this out and says that this is an example of the long-suffering of God. Well, the punishment and the consequences, it involved the end of time for those people. It was the end of an era, and it began a new era. And that new era was with Noah and his family and the animals, where God said, be fruitful and multiply. And so the overpopulation of wicked people was erased. The end of a former way of life came to an end. The conditions of the world had now changed for Noah and his family. And it was the start of a new era. So 
Is that the only time that we, we come across this in, in God's word? Well, how about moving ahead another 400 years? And, you know, when we think of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, we don't really need to wonder at the wickedness that, that God saw there. Uh, the word sodomy comes from the name of this place. And it says in Scripture, in, in Jude 7, that Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, they're set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And in Genesis 18, we read that the angels uh, go down, and it says there, I will see uh, if what I hear is true. Now, this is a figure of, figure of speech, really, because God knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels knew, but it was a figure of speech to portray them as humans. Well, just how wicked was Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Adam, uh, Abraham, who's speaking to these angels, has this discussion at the end of chapter 18, and Abraham says, so, so if there are 50 righteous people in the city, would you save the people if there were 50? And, and the angel says, well, yes, I would. And it keeps going down until the end at verse 32. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak at this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And and you know that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and only Lot's family, his wife and two daughters were saved. There were less than ten righteous individuals in that city. Even his sons-in-law it says in verse uh, 14 of chapter 19, mocked Lot when he said you need to leave the city. What else does it say about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, in, in Ezekiel chapter 16 and uh, verses 49 and 50, we read of their, their pride, their arrogant and pompous ways, their, their overabundance. All of their idleness and their, their uncaring ways and, and their haughtiness, the way they were they just lifted up and they swelled themselves. They, they thought they were it. And in Isaiah 3, for all their sinfulness, God says that they were unbashful. They boasted about the sins that they committed. And so... In 2 Peter chapter 2, we know that Lot lived in this city. And it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses uh, 6 to 8 that the cities of Gomorrah are, are being described here and turned into ashes and condemned. They're an example 
unto those who should live ungodly. But it says that he delivered just Lot. Lot who was a just man. Because he was vexed with the filthy conversation or behavior of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them vexed his righteous soul from day to day. And so we would have to say that that Lot was found in chapter 19 in the gate of the city, involved in the administration of the city. And if Peter says that he vexed his soul, can we not imagine him trying to persuade them? Look, men, what are you doing? Lot knew the truth. What are you doing? Change your wicked ways. And if his sons-in-law mocked him, I'm sure they mocked him. He would have made known to them their wicked ways. And so what do we see? Well, we see God's way at work again. God told them, Lot told them what they were doing was wicked. He tried to change their ways. God showed an abundance of mercy and patience. For the sake of 10 individuals, he would have been willing to save that city. But there were consequences. And the punishment involved the end of time for Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the end of the existence of Sodom. And there was no beginning for them in this case. Other than the new beginning for Lot, who then moved to the mountains. We'd like to look at one more example, our our last example. And that is the nation of Israel. In the way that God has dealt with his people. And so if we move ahead 500 years in time from the days of Sodom to the time of Moses. And, and we've heard of the law of Moses found in the first five books of the Bible. And in Deuteronomy 28, after giving the, the people the law through Moses, which is why it's called the law of Moses, it's really the law of God, God gives them a series of blessings and cursings in chapter 28. And there are consequences. What they are are consequences for obedience or disobedience. And they were blessings beyond measure of abundance for obedience. And there were curses of horrific meagerness for disobedience. And one of which we read here in verse 36 that they would be removed from the land that God caused them to dwell in and become servants to a foreign king. So they were given a law and they were given consequences, not only for obedience, but for disobedience. Much motivation to obey the law. Well, if we move ahead, if we move ahead 500 uh, years uh, more, We come to King David sitting upon the throne in the land that God had promised them. And and as King David 
came to the end of his life, his son and his son's son, and for approximately 500 years, there were uh, a long succession of kings that sat upon the thrones of Israel and Judah. And some kings were very good, and many kings were very bad. But overall, the state of the nation declined until the end of the last king and his reign. And it's the reign of Zedekiah. And and this really summarizes this time that God dealt with his nation through 500 years of of doing so. And so we read of, of Zedekiah, And this last king, it says, even he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart. And all the chief priests and the people transgressed very much. And the Lord God sent uh, to them by his messengers, the prophets, rising up at times and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But They mocked the messengers of God. Oh, where do we hear that before? They mocked the messengers, despised his words, misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with a sword and had no compassion. They burnt the house of God, break down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt the palaces, destroyed the vessels, and them that had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they were servants unto him and his sons. Well, is this not God's way? I mean, he, he gave them the law of Moses, A beautiful way to live, so detailed and so motivating. He gave them the motivation of the blessings and the cursings to to live by that law. He had an abundance of patience and mercy, sending the prophets to them, pleading with the king and his people to obey. Until came the punishment. And the very consequences that God gave them that involved the end of time for them and the beginning of a new era that they would no longer be running their own country or ruling themselves. They would, in fact, be slaves. Well, are we in the end time? Are we at a hundred seconds before midnight? And is it because of, of cyber warfare, global warming, pandemics, nuclear bombs? Or is it because we're not at the end of the existence of the earth and man due to some, some natural or, or social disaster, but Is it because of the state of our world? Is it because of the state of man and his morality 
upon the world is a change coming brought about by God himself due to our morality on the earth. Because today, is it not that God has given us laws to live by and to follow and we break them? Is it not that looks are the most emphasized thing today? Is it not that aggressiveness is valued, that that violence is on the rise, that corruption is a characteristic we see in every high place and low place? Is it not that man goes after strange flesh and that fornication is thought of as completely acceptable to the point that there are less than 10 people in a segment of population, a very small minority, that think it's actually a sin? Do we not see arrogance, overabundance, idleness, uncaring, haughtiness among people who are completely unbashful about it? Well, here's the other thing. The Lord Jesus Christ said these conditions would exist at the end time. You see, in in Matthew chapter 24, Christ says that it would be just like the days of Noah when the Son of Man returns to the earth. That it would be just like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when the Son of Man is revealed. And so, does not God's way apply to us? Is it not that this pattern that we've seen in God's law would surely apply to us? That he's given us a law with consequences? Can can anyone plead ignorance of God's laws? I mean, the Bible is the most printed book in all of history. And all of the dictionaries and the study aids and and the manuscripts and the historical records and the archaeology and the scientific findings, can anyone plead ignorance to God's laws and the consequences that are laid out therein. Does not God show patience and mercy? I mean, we, we might scratch our head, how long will God wait? How much more worse does it have to get? Would you and I wait this long before saying that's it? It's the end of time. The Lord Jesus Christ needs to change this. And are there not consequences, a punishment coming that will be the end of time, that will be the beginning of a new era where man will no longer be in control of the running of the world and that Christ will be king over a worldwide kingdom, 
that's ruled by God's laws and filled with righteousness and peace. Well, you might say that this has been said before. You might say that you've heard this before. Well, I guess we invite you to decide for yourself. And, and, and read God's law in the Bible and, and know his laws and, and see if this book just isn't any other book but a miracle, the fact that it exists and how it's written. And know that it's here to make you aware of the existence of God and his power and the plan that he has to bring about to the end of this time. And usher in a new era. And so turn, if you will, as we finish things up, by, by looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, the, the chapter that we had read this evening. And just let's just take some of the uh, ideas that are there and summarize. Well, in verse 3, Peter says, you need to know that, that in the last days, why, there's going to be scoffers. How many times have we read of that this evening? Scoffers who walk after their own lusts, saying, uh, haven't we heard this before? Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were since the beginning of creation and as we said, perhaps yours, haven't we heard this before? Well, I would say be careful. Because in verse 5, they're willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water, and he's referring to the flood, is he not? In verse 6, that world being overflowed with water perished. Keep that in mind, says Peter, if you think this is not going to happen. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, and, and just a few lectures ago, um, it was pointed out that the heavens and the earth are symbols for the po present political arrangement of things. Man who's ruling now and being ruled, those, that arrangement that is now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the judge, day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men. You see, God's made known his laws and his consequences. And so know this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not tardy. He doesn't procrastinate. But in fact... Why, here's God's patience. He's long-suffering to us words. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to patience, to repentance. This is why God waits. This is why Christ hasn't returned yet. This is the patience and mercy of God. But he says in verse 10, Don't be surprised. Because the day of the Lord will come 
even as a thief in the night. And so, verse 11, seeing then all of this, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or behavior and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new, a new political arrangement, a new era, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 14, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.